Hi, I'm Dr. Karen Becker, and today I have an awesome guest. Dr. Liz Bales is joining me. And Dr. Liz, you have done a lot of amazing things, but one of the coolest things you've done is you invented this. I did. Okay. I did. So tell me, we'll get into all, the, all of the magnificentness of this, but tell me first how you, tell me a little bit about who you are and then how this awesome invention came to be. So I am a veterinarian. I've been a veterinarian for 18 years and I actually started as a horse vet, go figure. Oh, wow. um, but in school, really, I fell in love with cat medicine. And then I was a horse vet, I like to joke, for 15 minutes. <laughs> uh, not much longer than that. And then I went into small animal practice and was really fascinated with cat medicine and, and really how behavior and medicine uh, are so tightly linked in cats, certainly in all species, but in my opinion, in cats more so than others. And I became very interested in cat handling in the veterinary hospital. 18 years ago, cat handling um, was almost seemed like magic to me. Now there's cat-friendly practice and there's fear-free and there's so many people that are working on it. But then I would watch people who really understood how to communicate with cats, how to make cats feel not threatened in the veterinary setting. And I was like, that is wizardry and I must learn that. And so I did, and that led me down this journey of really uh, being interested in and trying to understand the nexus between wellness and behavior for cats. That's massive, especially back when you were very positive and what you highlighted that people that did it well did it magically and that's wonderful. But the parenthesis to that is that 20 years ago, the vast majority of practitioners, in my opinion, were not doing cat medicine excellently, and kitties really received a lot of just outright, I'm going to say the word, abuse. Uh, and honestly, I think I was one of them, because I, in school, you, you, you're trained uh, to get the job done, mm -hmm. and your, your focus is getting your diagnosis and then providing the care. Um, and so you just want to do that as efficiently as you can so you can see the next patient. But I realized really quickly that it didn't, it shouldn't be that way, that we need to approach the situation very differently so the cat and the cat parent have a positive experience in the hospital. So yeah. I would say I, like guilty, 20 years ago, that was me. Um, but I, I would see how different it could be. And I believe that part of this is our training in vet school. I, I, was, I went to Iowa State, a large animal teaching hospital, and that's exactly what they taught us is, you know, get your, come hell or high water, you're going to get the UA, you're going to get the blood sample. Here are all the ways you can really aggressively restrain cats to be able to get the samples you need. Not once was there a conversation about lasting emotional damage, about damaging the relationship between veterinary and patient, between damaging the relationship between client and patient. We yes. never had those discussions. Yes. And so it's so, I look back and I just shudder, but as you mentioned, we've come a really long way with fear-free practices and with stress-free handling and with helping other veterinarians and our clients to understand that we need to approach all of kitty specifically, but all of life with a way that resonates with their 
history and their ability to have the lowest possible stress associated with any type of veterinary care. So that's one of the reasons I love your invention, but I also love the fact that you were astute enough to recognize that we had some problems and you clearly it's your passion to be able to fix some of those things. So tell me then what's the, what was the step between you identifying, my gosh, we're really, we don't have the knowledge we need pertaining to cat emotional well-being, physical well-being, nutritional well-being, and then you inventing this awesome, cool indoor hunting system, feeding system that you did. How, what was the steps with that? Well, I, I really endeavored to learn as much as I could about feline behavior and uh, how it, 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 and really, I say behavior, it seems like a catch-all word. What I mean is, what is a cat's inner emotional life like? What, uh, what are their instincts that drive them? And then um, how are we working with them to make the experience, whether it's in the veterinary hospital or in our homes, as best as it can be? What I found was that uh, humans and cats are actually, as a species, very different. Humans are pack animals. Um, we are low frequency, high intensity interactors. Uh, we are hunter gatherers. Cats are solitary hunters. They, uh, they are high frequency, low intensity interactors. And these are lots of fancy words to say. In terms of our innate instincts, we're kind of opposite. So we don't naturally get them. We don't naturally live the way that they naturally live. And so uh, when we try to treat them like they're our babies because we love them so much and we want to do everything right for them, we're kind of doing exactly the wrong thing. And it's not out of uh, bad intentions. It's just not our nature. So we're really doing it wrong a lot of the time. And because of that, we're causing our own problems. Yeah. So, so um, I started learning a lot about that and wanting to fix it. Um, because how can we have all of these people who love their cats? I mean, I was in cat only practice. These are the most devoted cat parents in the world. People really want to do what's best for their cats. I find that cat parents are the most devoted, frankly. Um, but, but we're doing it wrong. And, and how can we communicate that information in the most kind way to the cat parent? Uh, so that, because the, they're going to feel bad and guilty because yep. they're trying to do the right thing. Um, and so communicate the information and then provide the solution because the information without the solution leads to no change. Yeah. And, and, and incredible frustration for the cat parent, you know, it's great to, you know, to tell them how to do things different, but if they don't have the tools and resources to be able to actually institute the change necessary, it's wildly frustrating because they know they should be doing something different, but they don't have those resources, and which is why I'm assuming you probably became a creator. Yes. Cause you go down the dog aisle of, of a pet store and there's tons of stuff. The cat aisle, you know, until a year or two ago was the same stuff for the past 30 years. And okay. so, so cutting to the chase, I know you are passionate about what you feed animals, dogs and cats alike. And there's so much conversation right now that is very passionate about what we feed our cats. I want to add to that conversation that how we feed our cats is every bit as important as what we feed our cats. And here's why. Cats, as we said, are solitary hunters. They want to hunt, catch, and play with their food before eating it. That need to enact that predatory instinct at mealtime 
So the hunt, catch, play, eat cycle is really important to their metabolic health, to their emotional health, uh, to really all factors of their wellness. So they, again, they want solitary hunters. They want to hunt, catch, and play with their food. And a cat's stomach, I should have my ping pong ball with me. A cat's stomach is the size of a ping pong ball. A portion of food for a cat is a mouse. Mm -hmm. The edible contents of a mouse are somewhere between one and two tablespoons. They should be eating that amount of food many times a day, not meal feeding from a bowl. And I think there's a lot of misunderstandings there. Yeah, so, oh, tremendous. And you know what's so cool is, um, and you probably have read these studies more so than I have, but let me know if this is true. Research has shown that at least with wild felids, that there's an endocrine release, there's a neurochemical release, there is, I mean, they're getting, they're strengthening tendons, ligaments, um, brain, olfaction, like every possible sense, as well as physical adaptiveness is exerted while a cat hunts. Is that true for, for domesticated felines, do you think? You know, I don't think that work has been done. I think that this field is sort of the next frontier of veterinary medicine, particularly in cats, and I'm trying to uh, excite the people who can help fund that research yeah. with just how important it is. In, in addition to all those things that you mentioned, what's happening uh, with, with the GI tract? What's happening with the cephalic phase of digestion for a cat? I think it's so interesting. You know, if you go through that hunt, catch, play, eat cycle, if you take out the hunt, catch, play, and just give them eat, how much are they missing? Yep. And, and what disease processes long-term does that play into that have sort of been my hypothesis, and I don't know the answer. I want to test. I want to do a 15 or 20-year study. But what happens when we, if we had two cat populations, one we feed from a bull, and one we feed in a hunting, uh, replicating the hunting lifestyle. Uh, when you give them back that hunt, catch, play, eat, does it play into kidney disease? Yep. Does it play into thyroid disease? Does it play into GI disease, IBD, lymphoma? What about skin disease? We know from the work Dr. Tony Buffington has done that it plays into urinary disease. Um, and actually 70% of urinary disease in cats, of lower urinary tract disease in cats, is related to stress. Yeah, you bet. And that's in the indoor environment from the and loss of the natural instincts, the ability to enact their natural instincts in the home. And it, that's something we, we are not talking about. Well, in fact, just the concept of feeding from a bowl. I mean, when barn cats don't get their, the mice presented to them in a, in a bowl, right? You know, they have, they have to work for their food. So this whole concept of not just working for their food, but engaging all of those sights and sounds and senses. I just heard a Ted talk last week about circadian rhythms in humans and how circadian yes. rhythms are as important to humans as the food that we eat and the exercise we do. It's what time we do it and what a, you know, uh, what, what time is. I like that we have a guest. <laughs> Tell us about our guest. A little this bit is first. my cat, Carlos, who uh, is in and out of frame here. And, um, I kind of let him make the decisions about whether he wants to come back and see if I, of course, <laughs> but I now. like that he's choosing <laughs> to make some cameo appearances. I love this. Yes. And yeah. you talked about circadian rhythms in humans. And what, what I want people to know about cats is cats are crepuscular hunters. So what that means is they hunt opportunistically 80% of their waking hours are spent hunting. And it's not just the manipulation of the food, but it's using their, their nose first to find it. Yeah. And then all those, all those other sources that you talked about. Um, 
but but they'll do that 24 hours a day but mostly at dawn and dusk yes so as it pertains to the dusk part that fits in with our schedule and doesn't cause yes. a lot of problems the dawn but, part yep again yeah, not so fun not so fun so here again we can either work with nature or against it yeah so if you give them a way to hunt in the morning you get to sleep yes but we also don't want to deny them like you said we don't want to deny them, deny them their natural evolutionary history when it comes to how they eat because it's a huge part of like you said not just their their emotional and mental well-being but their physical well-being and i do believe that sometimes the only exercise cats are given is their trip from the couch to the food bowl and back to the couch and what a boring lackluster really almost depressing life but well, it's we, not almost depressing yeah it, i mean it actually is depressing yeah and we deny them that because we keep them bless our hearts as cat owners we keep them captive in our homes which i do too i don't let my kitties go wandering about the neighborhood but out of that i have this overwhelming responsibility to create environmental enrichment on a daily basis so how did you blend feeding with environmental enrichment like did you just decide okay there's not a product out there i'm doing this or how did you have an obese cat or did you have a bored cat or did you have a sad cat so i had everybody's cat i, yeah. I was seeing patients and they would come in for chronic vomiting that had no answer yeah. Peeing outside the litter box, which is a really bad human problem. Yep. Um, being obese, all those things, being obese, being totally lethargic, that skin disease that fat cats get where they just have like dandruff all over. And I mean, I would see that honestly, Karen, I'm sure you too, Dr. Becker, excuse me. But no, it's more, good. More than anything. So, so I would see that more than I needed to vaccinate cats. I would see yes. that more than anything. And I'm thinking, but I don't have medicine that can help these cats. You got it. I can't, I don't have a prescription food that can help these cats. What can I do? And so I was at a three-day internal medicine and behavior conference. And the lecturer talked, you know, seven hours a day for three days. And in every lecture, how, you, how cats are supposed to eat came into it. Just those things I talked about, hunt, catch, play, eat many portions throughout the day and that tiny portion and it fed into so many of the all those problems i was just talking about and these diseases and i thought why is anybody doing this and then at the end of the lecture she said and this is gonna upset people it upset me it changed my career she said do you know the number one cause of death for cats at the end of those three days euthanasia it's, we're in a room of 150 cat vets and nobody knew that and, and the number one cause of euthanasia is behavior problems that take, people get fed up and you go back to the shelter and those cats don't get homes. Yep. And I thought, wait a minute, I, I'm not treating the number one cause of death for my patients. And none of us are. Yep. And I yep. thought, I just thought that was unacceptable. And I went through in my mind, all of the institutions that I think of, whether they're big companies or, or, um, or veterinary institutions that I thought you guys should be fixing this. And then I thought, I think I'm going to fix it. And, and it's so cool. I love these inspiring stories because out of that frustration, you created a super cool product. So when did you, so, so tell us a little bit about that, that, so you're, I know you were practicing full time. Yeah. 
you probably came up with a prototype and then how fun was it? So first of all, explain what you came up with because I of course know about these amazing mice, but kind of explain, um, you probably went home and started dinking around with options. So I, I actually in, invented it in the car ride home from the conference. I listed in my mind all of the criteria. Vet school is really good at, at regimenting the way you think. And so I went through back, um, actually Dr. Cindy Otto from the emergency department at Penn nailed me for not being systematic enough. Thank you, Dr. Otto. <laughs> and so I, I really broke it down systematically of recreating all the natural feeding behaviors of cats. So hunt, catch, play, eat, multiple small frequent meals. What's the shape of prey? And, and uh, I wanted cats to really be able to interact with it and use their teeth and claws, carry it around. I wanted it to be able to be put in different places. You know, mice don't hang out in the same spot every day. That would not make for very smart mice. So how, how can we really recreate all of those things in a way that's um, safe and easy for people to use? Yep. Uh, and also very important, what cats don't like. So some cats really don't like uh, things that move, things that make noise. So uh, what, what should I leave out that might be fun for people and seem exciting for people, but that could really turn some cats off? And then how could I make it into a system where we, I could train people and their cats onto it in a way that really gave us a chance of changing the way people feed their cats around the world? Yeah. Um, and I have to say, on that you know, it was a two-hour car ride home or something like that from Atlantic City to Philadelphia, and I, I went in the kitchen and I drew it, and I wrote all my criteria, and then I looked at it and I was like, what am I going to do with that? Yep. I mean, I was, I'm a mom, I'm a vet, and I had no experience in doing anything like this. And if you had told me, it's now almost to the day four years ago, it's the ACVC, which might even be this coming weekend. That oh, comes. awesome. Yeah, almost four so years to the day. So actually, I'm totally impressed. That's a tremendous, you have been wildly successful in four years creating this amazing doodad. I mean, you really have. So so would you say the fir your first prototype came out about a year from that time when you envisioned this brand new way of feeding cats, about a year or more it than was, that? It was about a year that we worked on um, creating the inside and the outside and how the, the mechanics of it were going to work. Yeah. Um, funny, the, the inside part was pretty quick. I, and I had to test it with every different kind of dry food or freeze-dried food. Um, I'm working on my, my wet feeder now, which I hope to have maybe in the next six months. Um, uh, but that skin was terrible. <laughs> and and uh, I hired all different kinds of designers to try to help me make it. And what is really the interesting part about this journey is I get these pictures and visions and I got to do it myself. Yeah. And I actually sewed that first skin after having two different designers not be able to get it. I sewed that myself and ha so then cool. had a designer turn it into a, 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 a prototype. That they so could cool. So cool. So, so for, for the viewers, listeners, readers that don't know about this natural feeding system, this indoor hunting system, it is a totally, you know, disinfectable shell that you can load your cat food into um and then it comes with this great mouse skin that you that you put it back in you can this is dishwasher safe it's toxin free pba free all of the scary things free but you can load your cat's food into there and actually liz i've used it with raw food dehydrated and freeze-dried no problem and i've actually used it with raw food no no problem i've not that had it that's yeah. great i'm hoping to you know 
the the wet and raw food is a whole nother um to be safe to the human to be safe to the environment you know i i uh, i have a lot to learn there frankly um and uh so i haven't tested it with that um but some people also use the chunky pate style wet food in it successfully but i'm trying to come up with something cleaner um for going well, and, and so for for my for my personal cats they uh they small frequent meals exactly like you're saying i try and emulate how i feed my cats if they were barn cats which means if they're wildly successful they may hunt you know three or four times a day and get a snack but you know who i love this best for you probably have heard every possible scenario but my favorite two categories of kitties that are three young totally rambunctious cats who have yeah. so much energy that you don't like you're almost annoyed with the level of energy <laughs> yeah. this is like a godsend yeah. for obnoxious kittens it's a godsend because <laughs> yeah. it's kind of like a video for your for your toddler as much as i don't <laughs> believe that you should give tv to young kids there comes a point as a mom where you're like help i just need an hour and sometimes with kittens it's like where do they get the energy? And in instituting a, a cognitive feeding sy system where, especially with young kittens, I get really crazy with this. I, I mean, I'll hide their prey up on shelves and closets and be like, well, we totally underestimate yeah. what, what they need. You know, I, you can put it, this is a great pro tip for you. You can put it in a shoebox, put oh. the lid on the shoebox and Thanks. then hide the shoebox. Yeah. Um, and that's awesome. There are, I have some people who are taking it apart. They're sort of uh, hacking it and yep. put a magnet in the nose oh. and then being able to hide it, sticking up on Stick stuff. It. Nice. Um, if you're going to be home, these are all the like you know, advanced tip stuff, but if you're going to be home, I'll tie the tail at the end. You know, there's two pieces of that drawstring. You yep. can tie the end together and hang it over a, a knob, like a kitchen knob. Nice. And then you make like a kitty pinata. Okay, um, I like I do that. get a little concerned with the safety first that a paw could get hung up in there. So I only do that if I'm gonna be home. Yeah, of course, but those yeah. are great tips. Um, th those are awesome tips. And you know, sometimes, um, for especially for young kitties and for kitties that are super motivated about food, I was a when when I very first tried this system, I was a little bit concerned about lazy, obese cats. I know that they were hungry, but I was afraid that they wouldn't be, that they wouldn't even have enough desire to work at it. But I was surprised at how quickly even morbidly obese cats started to engage in the desire to want to bat it around. Have you seen that to be true as well? The, the obese cat is really one of the most interesting. Um, I, I've, I've been lecturing now around the world about these cats and what I'm learning, and I'm also learning every day. And what I've learned from the uh, leading behaviorists around the world is if a cat is not enacting their natural instincts, if they're not playing, if they're not active, that's actually really worrisome. And earlier in, in our talk today, you talked about, uh, are they depressed? That is the opinion of the head behaviorists in the world, is that those cats are shut down. They're, yep. they're, they're the cats, if they were humans, they would be laying on the sofa weeping all day. You know, yep. we, They're the cats we really need to, to focus on. So you have to be patient with them and getting them going. And in the beginning, you're not going to be doing all those great 
crazy hiding things no. that we talked about. No. You're going to start where the bowl was and then maybe behind the table leg next to the bowl, that kind of thing. But what's so exciting for me is hearing about these cats and how a month, six weeks, two months down the road, not only are they now hunting for their food and losing weight, they're playing with toys again. Yes. And they yes. want to be a cat again. And that's yep. like, wow, how amazing is that? Yeah, it is. And if you think about it, we're just letting them express their natural behaviors in a way inside that is appropriate and actually conducive to them needing to eat anyway. We're just feeding them in a creative way that allows the depression to be managed by interacting with them in a way through a natural feeding system that unlocks their predatory instincts, which is, I think, self-confident building for kitties. And you know, the other thing I found is with super morbidly obese cats, the best way I've gotten them to kind of engage is because they're calorically restricted, I put their favorite treats. They don't necessarily, putting their regular food inside here is not so enticing, but because they're being calorically restricted, putting their favorite treat in here, all of a sudden they're like, oh, <laughs> yeah, I will engage with this indoor hunting system because there is whatever treat inside that my nose tells me I really want. And then what's cool is like you said, I, I use it as dessert beside their food bowl for their portion for, the, for that, like the, let's, let's say between two and four hours, I give them their tablespoon of food plus their one treat in the, in the indoor hunting feeder system. And then I move that farther and farther away to where they have to go under a bed to get their dessert after they eat their portion. And then I have found it to be a really easy transition into moving this from a treat dispenser to a feeding system. And that's, I found great success in doing that. And the thing that's great is there's so many different ways to success. So every cat we know is gonna be a little bit different. Yeah. Um, and I think nobody knows their cat as well as the person who lives with them every day. Yeah. So we got it the way I, I like to think of it is what are you doing now and and then how can we make that work to transition them into that lifestyle i love the way that you're doing it that's genius that's great and and i think you hit the nail on the head i think it's important that when we're introducing this is not only a brand new concept for many pet parents and kitty lovers but also feline veterinarians that maybe haven't heard of this more evolutionary style of feeding cats it is important that we work with our kitties not only in terms of their desire to participate some kitties just need to be just plain tricked into trying something different but the key is hang in there with your cat whether they're yes. obese whether they're depressed obese or bored, which are the three reasons I would think that this is, in my opinion, this is the best reason. I, I think all kitties should be fed evolutionarily, but the three reasons I think it's critical is for in, inviting a kitty to participate in natural behaviors around the home because we just don't have systems in place to do that. And I appreciate the role that this fills because we need that. But there are these other scenarios like obesity or boredom, you know, other, other reasons that these systems really enhance environmental enrichment, all, and not to mention exercise. We're getting kitties moving by you creating this. So I think there's a myriad of different ways that, that these amazing food-filled mice can be used even to manage inner cat aggression. I have well, seen improvement. That is something, again, cats are solitary hunters. They want to hunt and eat alone. So when we feed them from a bowl, usually in the kitchen, maybe even two or three bowls, but they're usually near each other, we're, we're not only denying them their individual instincts for how to hunt, but we're asking them to eat next to each other, which is not the way cats want to eat. They hunt and eat alone, and then they'll come back to their group afterwards. So when we give this, we, in, in the 
enrichment world, you call it multiple and separate resources. So you can be hunting over there, I'm hunting over here. It's not, when we think about food dishes, we always talk about competition at the food bowl, and that's really more for dogs. In cats, they use space to get along. So it's not really that I get the food and you don't, it's more, I'm gonna control this resource and you don't get near it. And that is super, super stressful in ways that, you know, I told you 20 years ago, I didn't know how to speak cat. Uh, when I would see those kind of interactions, I didn't even know anything was wrong. Yeah. It's really starting to understand how cats use body language to prevent one another from getting somewhere, um, how they use their tail, their eyes, even, even not even to look and just to yep. block the resource is super powerful. That's like down and dirty in cat speak. So, so that blocking the resource uh, causes a ton of stress that then the cat might go pee outside the litter box. Yep. It'll do something that isn't really to a human mind, not linear. It's not cause and effect to us. And you find that when you now give them the multiple separate resources, you're allowing them to hunt, you're allowing them to be away from each other when they're eating, all of a sudden, the peeing outside the litter box stopped. Yeah. You know, I just read, I just read a, a not a, a journal paper, but a, a, a European cat article in a cat, uh, a pet parent kitty magazine that suggested that kitties that knock things off the counters constantly are so bored that they are creating their own little party because their toys are boring they're bored nothing is new in their environment and they know that they can stir the pot and at least elicits even if it's a negative response like oh my gosh you broke another glass at least they're getting something right i say from the, their the, environment the best day for your cat should not be the day that a cricket or a spider gets in the house and they can yeah. finally hunt that insect. Like, come on guys, we can do this. And it's not hard. Just give them a way to hunt for their food. They gotta eat. Now if we can combine that need to eat in a way that is emotionally fulfilling and fits their natural instincts, provides energy, mental engagement. You know, Dr. Gary Landsberg is a veterinarian who's done some work on um, kind of kitty Alzheimer's, if you will, cognitive dysfunction in cats. And he asserts that a cat who lives inside and has nothing to do for 12 years, 13 years, that their mind kind of just loses it. Whereas, he, and what he says is the therapy is, is get them hunting, get them yeah. doing, using their natural instincts and their brain in their everyday life actually brings them back to life. Yep. And you know, I can attest to this. This is, um, I have the most committed, truly, I have the most, I believe, I believe I have the most committed clients that I've ever met. To the point that Liz, I have feline mamas that release mice in their house for their cats to hunt. Have you, have you, have you had clients do that? No, when I give a lecture, I actually joke about that because I've never been, uh, that, no. That trumps my, that wins. That's better than what I've got there with the indoor hunting feeder. Uh, but I have never, I want to meet these people. So, so, but this is what I will tell them. And when my clients, the first time this happened, I was in practice six years and I had a client say this and I didn't know if she was joking, but she wasn't. Here's my concern. And those of you that are watching, if you are that committed to environmental enrichment, first of all, good on you. You get a gold star thumbs up because you are doing it exactly how nature intended, but there's always a but 
mice GI tracts contain parasites that can be passed up the food chain. And my concern, I'm all about kitties hunting. My concern is using mice opens up the door for potential GI parasitic infection. And I'm not a fan of that. So while I enjoy the concept of allowing kitties to exhibit their natural predatory behavior, I'm not hardcore enough to release mice in my house. And I also don't want the parasites that could come along with them. So the next best choice, Liz, in my opinion, <laughs> would be your parasite-free Parasite-free. I really have never heard of anyone actually doing that. Yeah, no, but, I have But this is, it, that is amazing. Yeah, that is amazing. Hardcore. But it really is the next best thing. And, and how simple. Yeah. In, in a way, I like to joke that I'm the smartest, dumbest person alive. Because <laughs> Like just, I just replicated what nature said. And, and I hope that you and I talking today really starts a bigger conversation because we've put so much energy into many conversations and maybe a little more heated than conversation about what goes in the bowl. Mm -hmm. I want to talk about the bowl. Yep. I, I, I think that the, the conversation about how you feed your cat is every bit as important. And so this is backwards, but it says noble. Your tagline on the back of this is backwards, but it says noble because the truth is kitties didn't evolve to eat out of a bowl. That's it. That's it. And, and even back when I was, I'm going to show my age. I started vet school in, in 1996 and I would hear then cats shouldn't be eating from bowls. Cats should be hunting for their food. This is, you know, 22 years ago. And uh, we would just nod, right, yes, right. And everyone would go back and do the same thing. Yep. And, and I was, uh, it's somewhere along the journey around 2014 when I started this, um, I was at a behavior lecture with a board certified behaviorist. And she said, no cat should ever eat out of a bowl. Hmm. And I'm like, yeah. Every cat is eating out of a bowl. You're right. So, so I think that if we could just start people talking about, about that, we, we've, we've focused so much on the, on the prey-based diet. Yep. I want to talk about the predator. And we've, we're, in most cases in America, now you know this better than anyone, 60% of cats in America are overweight or obese. Mm -hmm. We are stuffing our cats full of food and starving their predatory needs mm -hmm. from their, their social emotional needs. And I think now we have a way to fix it. Yeah, we do. And, and it's brilliant. And I would say it, uh, your invention is full of natural wisdom and an abundance of common sense in that it, it seems silly that such a novel small thing could totally change a cat's life, but it, it does. It can totally change your cat's life, both emotionally, mentally, and physically uh, by, by switching to this noble concept. So if you were to share, you've shared a lot and thank you, but if you were, um, if you were to think about the one thing that you want the whole world to know, what would you share in terms of how, how and why you're put on this earth to help people understand this passion that's inside you? You know, I think because humans and cats are so different from one another, um, our, I, I really deeply understood how much our cats are suffering and we don't mean it. Um, it's, the, it's, a, it's a lack of, of information to the average cat owner of just how important that hunting is 
and how much an enriched environment is. And because cats are solitary creatures, they don't show their emotions very well. So often, um, you, you know, from treating cats for, for diseases, we don't even know our cat's sick till it's really sick. So they're not great at telling us what they need. And to think that we have an entire population of cats living in homes, not just in the US, but around the world that are actually suffering emotionally from a lack of having their needs met, uh, it just broke my heart. It, it still does. <laughs> it still does. Uh, and, and that it's really easy to fix. Yeah. It's really easy to fix. And the thing that's really cool about cats is for the most part, you know, every cat's a little different. I said that earlier and they are, but for the most part, a cat is a cat. Whereas, you know, I would, if I was going to invent a, an enrichment feeding device for a German shepherd, it would be really different than the one I would invite invent for a Chihuahua. Um, where a cat is a cat. It's not that hard. Yeah. Um, and, and to think of how much good we can do, that, that statistic I talked about earlier of the number one cause of death for cats, I think that is starting to change. I'm working with shelters around the world now. That's super exciting. Super so exciting. It's, this is the best. So I work with the Natural Animal Welfare Trust of the UK. I'm starting to work with the uh, Utah SPCA, Philadelphia um, Animal Welfare League. So they're oh. feeding their cats in the shelter with my feeders. So instead of just being terrified in the back of the cage all day, now they're interacting, they're, they're getting to, uh, you know, express those natural instincts, even in just a cage, Yes. which isn't, isn't the best. We know that, but the shelters are really doing the very best they can with what yes. they have. The shelter community uh, also kind of breaks my heart with how hard they're working and uh, how, how um, little they have to work with to do yep. so much good and how much responsibility they have. Um, so anything that I can do to help them, I'm doing. Uh, and those cats that are hunting in the shelter are getting adopted faster. Yeah. They're having less upper respiratory disease. Um, the changes in those cats' lives are amazing. So uh, if shelters can do it with, you know, 500 cats a day, you and your one, two, three, four, five cats at home can do it. Um, and uh, th the thought of changing the, the emotional life for cats that can't speak for themselves um, is pretty awesome. It's really awesome. It's really awesome. So Liz, if people wanted to learn more about your feeding system, where do they go? So we have this big long name, I'm sorry. <laughs> it's docandphoebe.com. So D-O-C-A-N-D-P-H-O-E-B-E.com. Or you can just Google mouse-shaped cat feeder and you can find it that way. <laughs> awesome. And who's Phoebe? Phoebe is my unsung hero. Um, Phoebe's my partner who uh, is not a veterinarian and doesn't like to be on camera, but she helped me prototype everything. Okay, awesome. She does the supply chain. You know, there's so much to this that I had oh, no idea yeah. about. So get, actually making this thing and getting it to you and to stores and um, keeping track of all the business oh, stuff. Phoebe yeah. is, Phoebe's my hero. Well, and yay. And so thank you, Phoebe, for putting in all of the behind the scenes work to make this a possibility. Phoebe, this wouldn't have happened without you. So I'm thankful that Phoebe is with Doc and Phoebe and Liz, um, Dr. Liz, the doctor behind the Doc and Phoebe. I'm so grateful that you put, um, 
that you were sensitive enough to take time out of your incredibly busy day to invent something that is helping the emotional and physical needs of cats around the world. And I really appreciate the time that you invested in bringing this mission forward, not only in the awareness uh, when it comes to owners and veterinarians, but in helping people work through some of these issues that would otherwise result in kitties ending up in shelters, you're making a huge difference because of your commitment in caring for kitties' emotional needs through food. So I can't thank you enough. Thank you, and thanks for helping me share, share the word. It means so much, really. This is good, thanks a lot. Thank you.